Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to the week three edition of the Please Bet on Football Games podcast. I'm Joe at BMADFTS, the keeper of the real, and this is my co-host, Alex. Yeah, I'm at I underscore like underscore sports six. Happy to be back, Joe. A little bit rougher of a weekend this past weekend, but still could have been worse. It was a it was a tricky fucking weekend. We'll start off with our pod picks because we were down for the first time ever. If you want to spin it like we should be real handicappers. We should be real touts and say first losing week ever, ignoring the fact that it's week two. In the history of the podcast, this is the first time we have ever picked a losing card. Our uh, our weekly five picks against the spread went two of five for 40%, minus 2.09 units, bringing our season total down to 1.3 units profit. Our win percentage is still 58.33, though, so we're doing okay. Yeah, I mean, overall, luckily, that uh, week one is floating us a little bit right now, but, you know, even with week two being a bit of a loser, it wasn't a crushing loser, so, you know, live to fight another day kind of stuff. It was also like mere inches and insane last second fumbles away from being a solid winner. So shit happens. Um, we would like to address, we put, we gave out Chicago over Cincinnati. When we gave it out. It was two and a half. Like we said, the line even moved down throughout the week, but we did say we liked it even as high as minus three. So depending on how harsh you want to be on us, depending on what number you got, it could have pushed. I think it's fair to call it a win because we gave it out when it was two and a half. Like we said, and yeah, I and I know I know I that I, both of us got it at minus two and a half as well. That's what we bet it at. That's what the number was when we talked about it. So, I mean, technically, yeah, it was a push. Both of us won on it. Judge it let's, however you want to. Let's put it this way. it After you heard our podcast, it would have been really, really hard to find Bears minus three or minus three and a half, seeing as the line was consensus closing at minus one and a half, minus two. So if you don't want to call that a win, fine. I won't lose sleep at night. I will lose sleep at night, however, because personally, I won 62.5% of my bets this week, and I lost $1,610.68. You can't make up that kind of luck. And by luck, I mean terrible unit sizing. What really crushed me is I lost $3,000 on New Orleans when they laid a fucking stinker against Carolina. I had a thousand wrapped up in parlays, and then I put a two-unit bet on New Orleans minus three. I also lost three thousand dollars on Kansas City because halfway through the game I got greedy and said, "Fuck it, this game is so locked up, I'll just toss money line at really bad odds." Add all that up, that's six thousand dollars down the drain right there because I was irresponsible. Don't be irresponsible. If I would have bet one unit on every game, this is a massive winning week. But I guess yeah, it's always tough when that happens. I had not quite as extreme, but kind of similar situation. I won 57% of my bets, but ended up going down 1.3 units on the, on the week because I did the same thing. I had two units on New Orleans, two units on Kansas City. I didn't double down on Kansas City, but still had them at minus two and a half. And that, that fumble at the end by CH kind of, kind of sealed it and not going to lie, hurt, hurt me personally a little bit. It was one of those plays where you watch it on your TV and then you look at it like, okay, where's the flag? Because there's no way that just really happened, right? Like history can't be written this way. But right, I was looking for something to happen because I was just like, there's no way that that just happened. The Chiefs are driving. They have the ball to end the game. They just need a field goal to win. Like it was set up perfectly. 
and then just all crumbled. I know. And I even had the best line. I had Kansas City minus two and a half. Like I was, I was in the clear. The, the beat that I think was worse though is LA versus Indy. We're watching the game. It's the fourth quarter. The Colts have scored a touchdown. They're going for two. And I, we were on the phone at the time together. And I said, if they get this right here, if they go for two and they get this, that's our bet. We're not going to win. They're going to edge us out because we got minus three and a half. And Wentz drops back. He throws the ball. It's batted at the line. And I already begin to jump up for joy, knowing that I've won my bet. And all of a sudden, the ball is batted directly into the arms of his own tight end to complete the two-point conversion. I'm pretty sure this is directly after the punt that was fumbled into the end zone. And at that moment, I should have known that God just doesn't like me, and it's not my week. Yeah, I, I did the same thing where I was looking at that game, watching it go, and starting to feel pretty good about it. And then looked over and all just kind of fell apart quickly. And then, yeah, exactly as we talked about, and then we started doing the math of, all right, how's this going to play out if they get this two point? Yeah, it was, there would have been, there had to have been some crazy stuff for, for it to work at minus four, which unfortunately did not happen. And uh, that bet that looked good for a long time and was definitely on the right, on the better team just ended up falling flat because of some of those weird one play situations. Well, as, as much as we're, you know, sitting and marinating in our own sorrow, we were right about a lot of things this week. I mean, you don't win 62.5% of your bets if you don't really see the board well. So should we talk about where we didn't fuck up? Yeah, let's go into it. Where didn't we fuck up, Joe? Fuck you, pay me. That gave the Bengals the ball at like the 20-yard line that led to the touchdown and to the three-yard or the three-point difference. And so those huge you know, game-changing plays right now are what he's going to give up just because he is so raw. And it's not his fault. This is what happens when you're a quarterback that didn't get asked to do too much and, you know, generally just haven't been exposed to it or were maybe a little behind the eight ball like he was just, uh, you know, if he isn't picking it up super fast. But that's life with him right now. It's going to be incredibly boom or bust, whereas Dalton is the opposite. That's what we know, what we said coming into the year and kind of what we've seen so far. I think that about wraps up our Bears quarterback takes. Reminder to fuck you and to pay me, especially if your name's Ezekiel Yoder, because I literally couldn't have called it any fucking better this week regarding Bears quarterbacks. We quote unquote hated on one more figure in the NFL all off season. And uh, he represented himself quite well as a fucking useless sack of shit this Sunday as well. Yeah. I mean, we, we did bet on this one. We took the, the Broncos minus six to beat up on the Jags because urban Meyer is a terrible coach that is in way over his head and his heart is not in it. I mean, the, I don't know if you saw the tweet that they released after the game that was like, stick with us. Man, when you have to dive into that bag in week two, that's that's not a good look. Um, So, yeah, we were we've been right about him. We need to continue to take advantage of the Jags being the dumpster fire that they are while Urban is there. There was one moment in the first quarter where I had this game on and you did not. And I think the Jaguars were up like 10 nothing or 10 three. And you were like, what the fuck is happening with the Broncos? And I was like, relax. Oh, they were up 3 nothing. I said, relax. They're not going to do anything. And then very next play, Trevor Lawrence threw a gorgeous deep ball for a touchdown. And for a second, I was kind of scared. And then the next second, I snapped back to reality. And I realized the only way that the Jaguars are going to score is if Trevor Lawrence does something fucking awesome. 
and gets lucky enough for their receivers to not fuck him over and gets lucky enough for the offensive line to know generally what they're doing. And that's not going to happen very often. And sure enough, immediately the Broncos began running train on Trevor Lawrence and the eventual first overall pick holding Jacksonville Jaguars. Every facet of this team that Urban Meyer touches is just such fucking utter shit. The offense has no idea what it's doing. The protections are sloppy and not well-designed. They're taking stupid penalties. The team looks generally disinterested and defeated. We're going to keep on fucking fading these Jaguars. Seriously, for the entire time that Urban is there, because that's the other thing, is who knows when he's going to leave. But for the entire time he's there, yeah, we need to fade them. At least until those lines are, like I think we said a couple weeks ago, until those lines hit to 15, I think it's worth betting against them. It's a historically bad team. that he ate that were on him he had a fumble which he miraculously recovered did you see that one yeah that was crazy honestly i wanted to give him props for that was the greatest fumble recovery i've ever seen in my life and it's the only reason the bears didn't lose this game because justin fields came in and squandered a 10-point lead so quickly too so quickly when i i went to the chargers game which was in the late slate and when i left the house to get in the walk between my apartment and my car it's a two-minute walk The Bears went from being up 10 late in the fourth to up three late in the fourth because Justin Fields shat himself even worse than usual. He was late on four. He was late on fourth rows. He was late on six reads, including those fourth rows. He stacked himself effectively twice. He ran for short or no yards twice, including getting stuffed on a fourth and one quarterback sneak which it was one of those ones where he tried to be cute and like stand up Le'Veon Bellet, like, oh, where's the hole? Like, dude, you're six foot fucking three in large. You're supposed to plow forward. You need a few inches, you dumb fuck. We don't need you to look cute while you do it. Anyhow, it was the same problems that showed up in college. Just a general lack of consistency, not particularly accurate and very bad at thinking the game. Yeah, right uh, now he's, he's exactly what an ath- a super athletic raw quarterback out of college is going to be which he makes some really exciting plays and, you know, that pickup on third and nine to help seal the game where he, you know, broke a tackle, outran a D lineman that was chasing him down and then got across and got the first. That was a really nice play, but they were only really in those situations because he made bad choices. I mean, he had that horrible pick that gave the Bengals the ball at like the 20 yard line that led to the touchdown and to the three yard or the three point difference. And so those huge, you know, game-changing plays right now are what he's going to give up just because he is so raw. And it's not his fault. This is what happens when you're a quarterback that didn't get asked to do too much and, you know, generally just haven't been exposed to it or were maybe a little behind the eight ball like he was just, uh, you know, if he isn't picking it up super fast. But that's life with him right now. It's going to be incredibly boom or bust, whereas Dalton is the opposite. That's what we know, what we said coming into the year and 
kind of what we've seen so far. I think that about wraps up our Bears quarterback takes. Reminder to fuck you and to pay me, especially if your name's Ezekiel Yoder, because I literally couldn't have called it any fucking better this week regarding Bears quarterbacks. We quote unquote hated on one more figure in the NFL all off season. And uh, he represented himself quite well as a fucking useless sack of shit this Sunday as well. Yeah, I mean, we we did bet on this one. We took the the Broncos minus six to beat up on the Jags because Urban Meyer is a terrible coach that is in way over his head and his heart is not in it. I mean, the I don't know if you saw the tweet that they released after the game that was like, stick with us. Man, when you have to dive into that bag in week two, that's that's not a good look. Um, So, yeah, we were we've been right about him. We need to continue to take advantage of the Jags being the dumpster fire that they are while Urban is there. There was one moment in the first quarter where I had this game on and you did not. And I think the Jaguars were up like 10 nothing or 10 three. And you were like, what the fuck is happening with the Broncos? And I was like, relax. Oh, they were up 3 nothing. I said, relax. They're not going to do anything. And then very next play, Trevor Lawrence threw a gorgeous deep ball for a touchdown. And for a second, I was kind of scared. And then the next second, I snapped back to reality. And I realized the only way that the Jaguars are going to score is if Trevor Lawrence does something fucking awesome and gets lucky enough for their receivers to not fuck him over and gets lucky enough for the offensive line to know generally what they're doing. And that's not going to happen very often. And sure enough, immediately the Broncos began running train on Trevor Lawrence and the eventual first overall pick holding Jacksonville Jaguars. Every facet of this team that Urban Meyer touches is just such fucking utter shit. The offense has no idea what it's doing. The protections are sloppy and not well-designed. They're taking stupid penalties. The team looks generally disinterested and defeated. We're going to keep on fucking fading these Jaguars. Seriously, for the entire time that Urban is there, because that's the other thing, is who knows when he's going to leave. But for the entire time he's there, yeah, we need to fade them, at least until those lines are, like I think we said a couple weeks ago, until those lines hit to 15, I think it's worth betting against them. It's a historically bad team. All right, that's enough gassing ourselves up. We did have losing weeks, so clearly there were some instances in which we fucked up. I don't know what else I can say. And if you want me to say I fucked up, I fucked up. Uh, I don't know how else to say this, but Jameis did the thing. Yeah, he he did the Jameis roller coaster, and this is the bottom of the hill. It was a very uh, intriguing game. It's In classic Jameis fashion, despite having two just god-awful, disgusting, what-the-fuck-are-you-doing interceptions that broke the very back of his team in a game that was winnable for a while, Uh, despite those two terrible interceptions, he actually played well enough in the surrounding game that his grade ended up only like a C minus. He was accurate on 72.5% of his passes. He was, you know, he had positive plays on 21% of his plays, negative plays on 28. That's not good, but like it's not horrendous. However, those picks, man. I amazing spin move left out of the pocket and then arm punt like a fucking badminton shuttlecock. Yeah, I mean, it was really exciting for a second on on the, the first one that we're talking about. He went great pocket. Of a, he rears back and you're like, oh, he's about to launch a ball to some dude that's open in the scramble drill. No, 
into triple coverage at the goal line. Underthrown. <laughs> His receiver by 10 was yards. the furthest one from the ball, too. Yep. Underthrown by 10 fucking yards. It was bad. And you could tell the way I don't know if it's because the Saints just completely lacked coaching staff this week, which is true. They were missing nine coaches, or it's just Jameis Jamising. But it looked like the Saints were legitimately afraid to rely on him, despite the fact that the running game was not going to work. And it was clear from early in the game that it was not going to work. It makes you wonder. It does. I mean, it. he looked great the first week. The offense looked good. Peyton was calling good plays. And last week, yeah, definitely missing as many coaches as they were. I think they had five coaches active for that game. It's going to be really hard but he did not help whatsoever. And I don't know if if that result would have been much different if they had 30 coaches on the sideline. Yeah, oh, I will be- say they got, they just fucked themselves left and right. I, I, I lost track. I was counting while I was breaking down this game this morning and I stopped counting at eight, eight completely senseless penalties, false starts, unsportsmanlike conducts, illegal shift, just Penalties that have nothing to do with football and are, are, are just tripling. These are almost all on offense, too. So I got to believe that these are not the Saints we'll see all year. Obviously, they're not going to be the blowing the fuck out of the Green Bay Packers Saints every week either. But while we were wrong, because they clearly laid an egg, I don't think I'm going to change my stance on the Saints too much going forward. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to gauge my stance on them. Because they're obviously still a really good team that I like and think is a team that I want to gas for the season that we laid out as a team to gas. But it's got to be some matchup thing that we can look for that we're going to have to pay attention to when they do have these stinkers of trying to find a pattern. Because there's got to be something that is telling us when they're going to have these breakdowns. Something did jump out at me while I was watching this game, actually. Um, One of my favorite draft darlings of the last five, 10 years has been Hassan Reddick. I just loved what he could give you as an outside linebacker in a three, four package, very specifically. I didn't really want him as a defensive end because he is so slight, but I absolutely hated what the Cardinals did with him making him an off ball linebacker. Cause that's just not what he does. It's the same like Vic Beasley. It's the same player, really quick as fuck, great technique, great pass rush moves, not very strong, actively small. The Panthers are using him so well. They've got him coming off the edge as an outside linebacker, especially on third downs. He was eating up the Saints' very good offensive tackles. And then on the other side, Brian Burns is overrated by draft Twitter. Like, he's very similar, just longer. However, between him, Yitor Grossmatos, and Hassan Reddick, that's just a lot of pass rushing power. And it was overwhelming. This Jameis had eight pocket evasions game. And I think I, I like the Saints offensive line a lot. It's one of the better ones, in the, one of the top five or 10 in the league for sure. I think that Carolina might just have that good of a defensive line, or at least they might know how to scheme it up that well, because Joe Brady is baby Sean Payton and he is their offensive. Yeah. You know, we, we did talk about liking Carolina's defense, especially up front moving into the year. And it might have just been a day that that front won over the Saints. And sometimes that happens. Divisional games, you know, the outcomes are weird and the more talented team doesn't always win. So it might have just been one of those things that it worked out that way. A mix of the Saints not having their coaches, Jameis doing Jameis things, and Carolina just playing a good game, being able to overwhelm on the defensive line. and ending up 
throttling the Saints. So let's let's narrowly tailor this. I fucked up. We fucked up on Jameis because he did the Jameis thing, which is hilarious turnovers in ways that you can't even imagine until they are finally turned over. But we did not fuck up on the Saints necessarily. Just we fuck, you know, sometimes you lose a bet, but it doesn't mean you fucked up necessarily. Speaking of which, we were right about almost every game, but our chalky numbers fucked. Yeah, and this is, I mean, we we hemmed and hawed on it last week while we were trying to figure it out if we really didn't like the numbers. I know we went back and forth on the Rams game for a while of minus four is a horrible number, but we like the team. It's a better matchup. The Rams are well-suited. They're the better team. They're rolling. But weird things happen when you have weird numbers. You end up losing bets, even though you had the right read on the game. And that's that's where we failed. We took chalky numbers and it ended up killing us, but namely in that Rams bet. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit earlier. And like, yeah, I want to bitch. I want to be upset about punt fumbled into the end zone. I want to be upset about two-point conversion deflected, bounced into the tight end's arms. If either one of those plays goes the other way, if the punt gets off, if the two point is dropped, we probably win this bet or at least push. I had minus three and a half, so I would have won. But whatever. When you take a chalky number, when you take a hook or accept a hook, rather, you open yourself up to this. It's about getting good numbers. It's about finding angles. We have the better teams. Yes. But when you open yourself up to bullshit, sometimes bullshit gets on. you. Yeah. And we just got to be okay with even if we tease down a little bit on some numbers lose some value and go from minus 110 to 135 you're not going to get as much money but you'd rather rather win you know 0.8 units instead of bet on something you could win 0.95 but you lose because you take the bad numbers so i think part of it's just biting the bullet sometimes and just taking taking the tease and losing a little bit of value but feeling a lot safer in the bet Going on to the next segment, bringing back gas or fade. This is where we talk about teams that we think are either overrated or underrated in the national lens and look for value on them moving forward. This isn't necessarily a week-to-week ranking, but as we look forward throughout the rest of the season. So, Joe, if you want to jump into our first fade, the Washington football team. I just got so confused because I I would I really expected you to say Redskins and that just threw me way the fuck off. Oh. Joe, I do not have the genetic code that allows me to say that. <laughs> All right, this is my fade. Uh, just watching Thursday night football last week, Daniel Jones looked awesome. I gave him an A minus for the performance. He was just he was killing him with those like eight to twelve yard throws right in that long curl zone. I was really impressed. And then I thought about it. And I was like, you know, I was really impressed with Justin Herbert last week. And he was hitting all these nice eight to 12 yard throws. He had 14 of those solid throws in week one. And I realized Washington doesn't have shit for a fucking secondary. Their star safety is Landon Collins, who's a linebacker. And then just a, a rotation of dudes who are almost good backups at the other safety position. Their outside corners are Benjamin St. Juiced, who was a bad cornerback in college last year. Like he was actively hurting Minnesota in college. He got drafted because he's six foot four and theoretically could be good. He has never been good. He's starting for them opposite William Jackson, who's a solid two, but should not be covering number one receivers. And it shows. Kendall Fuller is great in the slot. I love him. He's a Fuller brother. I'm on that bandwagon, but One slot cornerback does not a secondary make, and having a great defensive line is not going to be enough, 
especially if you just run those nine yard curls, throw the ball with a little bit of anticipation and know that Benjamin St. Juice is going to be five fucking yards out of position. So going forward, I am looking to bet against Washington as often as possible because despite the fact that I think Heineke is almost exactly the same caliber of quarterback as Fitzpatrick, I think teams are just going to be able to pass on this Redskins defense against this football team defense all year. Yeah, I I haven't been super impressed with what I've seen from them so far. Obviously, they kept the Chargers to, what, 20 points? And that was impressive. But, yeah, you're right that it wasn't so much because they're corners and it seemed like it was more the, a bend-don't-break type defense. And it continues to come through. And honestly, I'm seeing some similarities between their defense and the Browns. They're not as conservative and vanilla as the Browns' defense has been, but it's a lot of just hoping the defensive line gets pressure and you can get home before they make a completion. And the Washington has that because their corners aren't super talented, as you talked about. William Jackson, I he's an awesome two or low-end one, but playing as a one, that, that sets you back. Then when your two is weak, you're really struggling. Yeah, Fuller's a stud, and he's really going to help you out in the slot and can cover a little bit of the weaknesses from the other guys, but he can't completely cover it up. And well, if they, you're, they, they also just don't use him when they're not in nickel, which is insane. He's your best secondary player. He needs to be on the field all the time. Motion him inside in trips, but yeah. So I think fade. That's that's the direction we're going to be going. Heineke, I love him as a backup guy, but he's totally the type of player that comes in hot and then kind of fizzles out as some of the magic evaporates. And we already saw some of that in other times that he's come in in this situation. And although they won and he did make some good plays and was able to pull that game out, man, did he try and give it away at the end. So he doesn't change much for me between him and Fitzpatrick. They both seem like exciting guys that can have crushing turnovers because they're trying to make things happen. And then if you don't have an elite defense like we expected them to, they now become just another middle of the road team that'll beat the bad teams and get run through by good teams yeah speaking of another team that is going to beat up on bad teams and have a tough time against good teams who's your fade so this one and this isn't a lock-in fade but this is one that i'm trending towards obviously i want to see more before i say yes fade this team but the arizona cardinals their offense obviously is incredibly explosive they've put up a ton of points in back-to-back weeks And while I discount the week one performance a little bit because it seemed like Tennessee was just generally asleep, they've put up, what, over 70 points between two games. And it's been all over. You know, Kyler's been completing passes, throwing all over the field on top of his typical run around and just make stuff happen because no one can catch him. So that offense is looking really good. They're using their... You know, they're using a good mix of their possession and speed guys, but the defense I still really worry about. Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt are going to get really good push. Yeah, Buda Baker, but other than that, it's it's a pretty empty defense, and especially when it comes to the coverage guys, they're it's the same, empty. It's the same man. defense as Washington. It's the same fucking defense. you got a great slot slash safety, and then you've got nothing around him and a good pass rush, except... yeah. In- I think it's even worse, though, because Washington has good linebackers and William Jackson is way better than anyone the Cardinals have. I agree. And as great as Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt are, they're old 
and they're kind of power rushes. They really only have one move. A power rush works great on Taylor Lewan. A power, power rush works great on young and inexperienced, terrible offensive linemen that the Vikings are trotting out. Power rush doesn't work great on the Seahawks tackles, Bears tackles, the Rams tackles. They're kind of a one-trick pony. Yeah, so I, I think that that defense is 100% the the ultimate pray to god our pressure gets home and can cause a mistake or get a sack otherwise someone has to make a play that is way out of their character in the secondary and the the vikings who went neck and neck with the you know middle tier to lower tier Bengals the week before came out and were a missed field goal away from winning against the this apparently very good cardinals team and it was simply it was because they kept completing those deep shots. They right away, they had that giant play to KJ Osborne or whatever. And a lot of it was him running as well, but it's just a weak secondary. That's going to be prone to a lot of explosive plays. And given that they play in a division with the Rams and the Seahawks who are both built around deep explosive plays. I think that bodes really poorly for them, especially and they'll be a, a good team to fade, but especially in certain matchups. One final note on this Arizona lean of a fade. We were low on Kyler Murray to come into the year, at least relative to the public. And while one might be tempted to upgrade him because of the gaudy numbers that the Cardinals have put up in the first two weeks of the season, I don't know, color me a hater for not being wildly fucking impressed that he torched a turnover-prone, short-field-gifting Tennessee Titans defense run by the dumbest coach in the NFL, and the Minnesota Vikings' ancient crypt of a secondary, which was torched by Joe Burrow. Yeah, so that's where they, they've been really impressive it could continue if Kyler, this is Kyler now, and he's taken that next step, then they're still going to be a really fun team and could be in to ruin your week some games. But I think for the most part, the the defense is what it is, and the offense can only go backwards. And they're barely, you know, pulling out, they barely pulled out a game against the Vikings. So that's where I lean towards they're going to be a team I want to bet against as it goes forward, but not like that's happening this week. That's a perfect segue because our final fade, and this should be a quick one, is the Jacksonville Jaguars. For every reason we already stated about Urban Meyer, basically, my philosophy with the Jaguars is, holy fuck, this team sucks. They're still going to get a little bit of public support because Trevor Lawrence is apparently Christ, and Urban Meyer is a name that everybody knows. And I can just hear every fucking hick college football fan saying, Urban Meyer is going to figure it out at some point. He's a winner. Fuck you. He's not a winner. He's a recruiter. And you can't recruit in the NFL, at least not during the regular season. So basically, I'm going to bet against Jacksonville until they become double-digit dogs every week. I really think yep. I'm, I think it's that easy. Yeah, I'm in the same boat like, like we've talked about. I'm going to continue to bet against them until the numbers get truly unplayable. But as long as it's within 10 points, I'm probably betting against them. Well, in that case, we should hurry up and get through Thursday night football so we can get to some more Sunday games like Arizona Jack. Go ahead and jump into the games for the week. First game of the week is Thursday night. The Carolina Panthers go to play at the Houston Texans. Texans plus seven and a half. So this line moved four points since last week. It was, Last week, the look-ahead number was Carolina minus three and a half. Carolina goes out and skull fucks New Orleans. Houston goes ahead and loses Tyrod Taylor. This number has moved four points. I need you to talk me off a ledge because I'm currently standing on the ledge, separating me from betting on the Texans plus seven and a half. So my point of not doing that is that 
Davis Mills is making his first start. He did not look good against the Browns' incredibly vanilla defense, and he's on a short week against a defensive line that just wreaked havoc against a good offensive line and has some speedy corners that can collapse on plays pretty quickly that Davis Mills probably isn't used to. So I think it's a really tough week to bet on a rookie quarterback that, you know, wasn't a, an incredibly highly touted guy as ready to come in right away. I know you love him, but he's still a third round pick that is in his first start on a short week on a bad team, no less. So I'm probably not betting on Carolina because that's a big number. And the Texans do have just a ton of veteran guys that are going to be in the right place and limit a lot of, you know, big plays or mistakes, but Carolina should definitely win this game. And it's, uh, it's tough for Davis Mills in this first week. Davis Mills, as much as I like him, is going to be a slow adapter to the NFL because he wasn't quite finished adapting to the college game before he came out. So I will grant you that. I already went over how much I love Carolina's rush. And before the season, I talked about how hopeful I am for their secondary. That's a lot to ignore. Joe Brady is a really good offensive coordinator too. And Matt Rule at least knows what he's doing on defense. Meanwhile, David Culley might, one of two things is true. He's either the dumbest man alive, likely, or he's actively tanking and doesn't care that anybody knows it. That Why punt, do you say that? That punt, if you've been on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen it. But on third and 13, the Texans picked up 11 yards, making it fourth and two. There was an offsides against the Browns. So they had the choice between third and like eight, third and 10 or fourth and two. They chose to decline the penalty, making it fourth and two and then punt. So they said, fuck trying. We'd rather give up quicker. That was truly baffling. And I don't know if you've seen the broadcast. Uh, They went to Stefanski when David Culley ran out the punt team. And you can literally like you see the look in his face. And, you know, this is lip reading, but apparently he says, what the fuck? (laughs) Because he is in awe of the fact that this guy says, no, we don't want to try again from third and 10. We also don't want to try again from fourth and two. You guys just have the ball. If at first you don't succeed, forfeit with your naked asshole in the air. That I think that's on the, uh, on the wall in David Culley's office. Yeah, I got that one from the Bible. Either way. As much as I'm tempted to say that Davis Mills is not a significant downgrade from Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod had played pretty well in the first two weeks, and I'm not certain that Houston can hang with Carolina one way or another. It feels gross to acquiesce to the idea that Carolina might be three and fucking O. What? But when you start off playing against the Jets and the Texans in the first three weeks, along with the Saints minus their entire coaching staff and Holmes, you you have a decent chance of being three and O. So... It looks like that's the way it's going to be for now. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's much else really to talk about this game. Carolina's going to win. Eight's a really I, hard number. Seven. I don't know half, about that. I would not bet on Carolina money line. It's just not enough value. I would not use it as an anchor. We know what happens when Tyrod Taylor comes out and a rookie quarterback that I like goes in. We do, but we should have seen that last week because it's always no. unexpected. It's always yeah. the unexpected start that the, the rookie comes in. Because that was Herbert came in where he got, uh, Tyra got his lung punctured right before the game. And then Baker, he came in right before halftime. I don't know. I, I'm going to be watching this game fervently. I'll be charting this game. I'm very intrigued to see what Davis Mills does. I'm not touching it. I'm not, I'm not 
I lean towards betting Houston. Let's talk about Sunday. Yeah. And this game we've already alluded to a little bit, but the Arizona Cardinals are going to play the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags are plus seven and a half. My notes for this game are Jack's just maybe that bad. AZ isn't great, but fuck. If I can get a seven, I'm on it. I, I don't like seven and a half just because I've been burnt by chalk last week. But if I can find Arizona minus seven, I'm taking it. And if it gets up to eight, I'm teasing. This is, this is a nice for a parlay. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm going to bet on the Cardinals. I'm probably just going to tease it down to seven. I may wait just to see if I don't have to spend the money on it. But I'm expecting to have to tease it down to seven. They'll definitely be in some of, some of the parlays or realistically one other parlay because I don't try and put it a singular team and more than two bets just to protect myself because I've been burned too many times before. But yeah, I, I like them as we already talking about Jacksonville is horrible and we need to take as much money as we can get. while people still think they're a viable football team or surprise me. And our next game is the Atlanta Falcons going to play the New York giants giants minus three. Yeah, this game's moved a half point off of two and a half for the Giants. And this is one of those tight games where there may be an angle, and I don't know what it is. So we're going to talk ourselves through it. Atlanta is kind of sad to watch because Arthur Smith is a coward, first of all. Like him and Vrabel, I think they castrated each other in like some kind of testosterone suicide pack. Um, That was why Vrabel said he was going to cut off his dick to get a Super Bowl is because he already cut off his balls. He, he just wanted a reason to make it all match. He was like, fuck, I need an excuse. I know. Right. No half measures here. Additionally, Matt Ryan is really starting to hurt me because he looks like Peyton Manning towards the end. And it's like, if you give him a good team and a smart scheme, he can still do things. He could probably break records if you gave him Peyton Manning's scenario the second to last year at Denver. But he, do, he doesn't have that. He there's no Demarius Thomas walking through that door or Eric Decker or Wes Welker. It looks like probably it's just going to be kind of really sad. Yeah. I mean, last week they, they, they moved the ball pretty well for a chunk of the game, but got sunk by some silly decisions and then late turnovers. I mean, two pick sixes in the fourth quarter is just crushing. And it's not exactly like Tampa has a lights out secondary. Yeah. The Giants don't have much, but they do have a decent secondary. Yeah. So I'm not inspired by Atlanta, mainly because they just seem super wishy washy, where they'll go have a quarter where they're an elite team and, or, you know, offense at least, where they can march on anyone, but then they go have two quarters where they turn the ball over twice and get three first downs. So, yeah, I don't, I don't like them. I haven't really liked them all year. I've thought they're, bad but I also don't love the Giants right now if I had to go lean one way I'd probably lean the Giants just because I think their defense will cause some problems and Daniel Jones did look good last week against a defense that I think is better than what the Falcons have and he's still Daniel Jones so this week he might go out and throw two picks and fumble twice but I like their their offense is more talented to me their defense is more talented you have the gym teacher coach and the roller coaster at quarterback, though, that makes me want to stay away from this game. So do I want white Jameis with P.E. teacher or do I want offensive Rabel with Peyton Manning light? I want to move on to the next game. Yep. Same boat. <laughs> next game, we have the Baltimore Ravens playing the Detroit Lions. Lions are plus eight. 
So for years now under Lamar, the Ravens have kind of just been, a, they've been a really easy team to handicap. Step one, is their opponent average at football? Step two, if they're worse than average, Baltimore wins and covers. Well, Detroit's putrid. Like Jared Goff played as good as he's ever going to play this Monday, which is not a good performance, by the way, because he absolutely shit himself for the entire second half. But that's what Jared Goff does. So the best you can expect from him is like one or two elite throws, you know, move the ball up and down the field on two or three drives and then shitting himself. He did that. They got blown out. The Ravens are going to run quarterback and halfback dive. Detroit's not going to stop it. The Ravens will continue doing it all fucking game and they will continue to get margin. Yeah. And I think if, if Detroit goes and cause they did get just a ton of run stopping D linemen this off season. And if they just go heavy, the Ravens are going to kill them in just play action, little short crossing route stuff that they do that the Packers killed the Lions on on Monday. They, I mean, how many touchdowns did Aaron Jones have that were just little pop passes or misdirection things that the well, Ravens the are thing. great at? That's the thing is people, not people, very myopic people look at the Ravens and say, all they do is run, stack the line with large defensive linemen. That's not how you beat them. The way that you beat Lamar and that speed outside running game is with safeties. You need defensive backs. You need to blitz your corners on Lamar to give him pressure from someone who can actually run with him. I don't think the Lions defense has anybody on the entire field who can run with Lamar or any of their running backs. I don't even think the Lions have a cornerback that can run with him. That's what I'm like that. It's one thing to not have linebackers or defensive linemen that can run with Lamar. Of course, they're the slowest team in the NFL on both sides of the ball. What do they do? I, I think they're going to get fucked. I'm, I got half a mind to place minus eight here for Baltimore. I know that's where this is classic. I, don't, I see now I'm having flashbacks from last week that it's a bad number. Now the Ravens don't let teams backdoor cover on them all that much. Exactly. Just because that defense is so aggressive and more, they just force you into mistakes when you get down, but it's, I hate eight, man. I hate any of these chalky numbers. And last week just reinforced that hate. There, This is another team that I just want to tease down to seven. And I'll take it even if it's, you know, minus 135. Let's actually see what it would be if I teased it down. So if I take the Ravens to minus seven, they're minus 130. This is one of those moments where I really wish we had like a research department that could just find me the Ravens ATS record as more than a touchdown favorites over the last three years because I know it's great. If you think of Lamar Jackson winning the MVP, the reason he won the MVP is because they scored about 50 points on the Bengals, 50 more points on the Bengals, 50 points on the Dolphins. They just ran train on the shitty teams. That's what they do. The only thing, the only argument that could even put a little bit of hesitation in me is that Baltimore is never going to be, their stock is never going to be more expensive than after they just lucked into beating the Chiefs. Yeah, that's a very good point. But you know what? The Lions stock's never going to be higher than when they backdoor covered the 49ers and almost backdoor covered the Packers on Monday night. Yeah, and this might be a similar thing to Jacksonville is we need to get value on the Lions before we truly people realize how truly horrible they are. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'll probably tease it down because I'm a coward, but yeah, I don't I don't think eight's really a bad number either if you have the have the goal that I don't. Well, I don't know how much more we can beat a dead horse. We'll come back to it if we need super contest picks. But for now, 
Next game, we have your Chicago Bears going to play my Cleveland Browns. The Browns are minus seven. You know, oddly enough, this line is actually down. Last week, this time last week, the Browns were nine and a half point favorites. Now, I know that the Bears beat the Bengals, depending on when you bet, you probably covered betting on the Bears. And I know that Justin Fields is coming in instead of Andy Dalton, in all likelihood, because of the bone bruise. But absolutely none of that makes the Bears one point better, much less two and a half. And because there's a key number here, this is basically a three-point move. Dude, the value here is on Cleveland. Yeah, and I think the, the other reason this number has dropped is because the Browns didn't look very good last week. The, the defense, you know, gave up 70% of third downs or something ridiculous. They just couldn't get off the field. The offense still looked really good when they needed to. I mean, they had uh, the two bad turnovers of DPJ. Just the guy got a helmet on the ball and just popped it out. That's what happened to Chubb the week before, too. Those ones are more that I think are just bad luck more than bad ball security, but still shouldn't happen. Then you have the pick where Schwartz pulled up on the route. I don't know if he heard the footsteps of the safety coming down or he didn't think he was getting the ball, whatever. But it was two bad turnovers that kind of stopped the offense. And then when they needed to score, the Texans, you know, got within three points or something. And then the Browns went and ran off an 80-yard touchdown drive. It took seven minutes or whatever. So when they need to, I think they turn it on. I'm a little worried about the defense. I think they're maybe just still working people in because there are so many new guys and you hear that Joe Woods' scheme is complex, but it's so vanilla right now. I'm a little scared of that. However, I think with the matchup that you're likely having fields that, don't get me wrong, I think if you try and confuse him, you're really going to pay off, but you don't need to work that hard to make him mess up. Now, I would love for them to push him onto a second read which they haven't done too much in the first two games. But I do like them. You have the much better team. The Bears are you know, starting the underprepared rookie that did not play well in his limited action last week. And I think this is people being down on the Browns a little bit because they saw him put in a little bit of a, a stinker last week. This is a huge number. And the numbers this year in the NFL have been universally large. For favorites but i think i want to lay seven with the browns as long as we can get it i think i'm ready to bet browns minus seven because watching the film it was really evident that the browns did not care against houston they tried nothing on defense it was the most vanilla cover three scheme i've ever seen and on offense baker mayfield went what 19 for 21 i didn't grade his game there was the one pick i don't think that was his fault i think that was a fluke they really did. They accomplished everything they tried to do. They just didn't want to do much. And now they lost Jarvis Landry, which is a positive because now they're going to stop force feeding the ball to a man who runs a 4-8 and is 5-10. Instead, they replace him with Odell Beckham Jr., who for all of his headaches, for all of his bullshit, for all of his hype, is a decent or better wide receiver. We know he's at least decent. He could be great again. I doubt it but it's somewhere in that range. Whereas Jarvis Landry, you know, you know, he will consistently be subpar, just barely subpar, but subpar. Yeah. And like, I understand the attraction of Jarvis because he is a Swiss army knife that you can give him a lot of different responsibilities and he'll do them all decent because he, he can get in those dirty areas and he can catch balls over the middle 
or he can make some guys miss, not because of his speed, but he is a little slippery. But I do think overall it's good for the offense if it forces them to kind of relegate those duties better. In that when you have those short like orbit motions and stuff, you should be using Kareem Hunt and Demetric Felton. Or when you have those intermediate passes, that's where you use Rashard Higgins or Njoku. So I think as long as the Browns can get through the mental block of, oh, Jarvis is out, I think it actually bodes well for the offense because it'll force them to grow. A Swiss Army knife is the perfect comparison for Jarvis Landry, but I, but it needs a few modifications. So he's a Swiss Army knife, but the actual knife portion of the tool is kind of dull. So it's not good for cutting. It's not really good for stabbing. It's not really good for sawing, but it's something. The scissors are rusty. So like the little trigger guy doesn't really cut too well. And when it does, like you got to like manually, you know, with both fingers, it's not very convenient, but it's something. The toothpick, the tip is broken off of it. The tweezers are kind of bent. You know, the the screwdriver, it's an X head and it's kind of stripped. So like, who is this helping? That's Jarvis Landry. It's a lot better than nothing, but you pray to God it's not what you have when you get into a fight with a bear. Speaking of bears, I don't think that they're going to pick Joe Burrow, or I don't think they're going to pick Baker Mayfield off on three consecutive throws like they did Joe Burrow, because one of these things is an NFL starting quarterback, and the other one is Kirk Cousins with a sweet haircut. Additionally, I have one hesitation. I have one reticence, and that is that Matt Nagy, great coach that he is, and he gets no credit for this, is going to know this is Justin Fields' debut. Justin Fields is going to be lost more than usual. Justin Fields is going to take sacks. Justin Fields is going to struggle to read defenses. He is not going to get through his progressions. He will be a one read and either sack or run quarterback. And even on that read, if he makes it properly, he will hesitate. And even if he doesn't hesitate and he's still got time, he's probably going to miss. So I think, again, Matt Nagy's going to have game of his life, you know, fighting for his job type pressure. And we saw against Cincinnati, it it turned into some pretty damn good play calling. They moved the ball up and down the field great without asking Andy Dalton to do anything particularly special. So I'm worried, not that Justin Fields can be good, but that they will be pulling out all the stops to make him as good as possible. And to the extent I'm worried, that simply means I'm not necessarily going to bet Cleveland minus seven. It means that I would turn this into a leg of a parlay or a teaser, but you being a little further removed from the situation than I am, because I spend most of my day bitching about Justin Fields and speaking the truth about his ineptitude on Twitter. What do you expect from him in his first start against Miles Garrett, Jadevian Clowney, and an incompetent defensive coordinator? So I think they're going to keep the game super simple for him. I expect them to use his legs a lot. And so I think that could be bad for the Browns in that the Browns play soft. So if they're just doing a lot of like get the ball out short little dunk passes, I think that could actually be a little successful for him. But the Browns have a ton of speed on defense and that D line is going to be coming after fields that'll push him into some bad choices. I don't expect him to have some horrible game where he throws four picks and fumbles twice. I think he'll have some success running the ball and they're going to score some points but there will be mistakes and turnovers. It's just how key those turnovers end up being. I lean towards that they're going to make this more than a touchdown game because I think the Browns are going to care. I think they probably got chewed out a little bit after this week of you guys didn't play your game. You didn't try your hardest. 
And now, you know, you have a, a team that you can't sleep against. You're better than, but they're going to put up a, a tough game and it's a really good defense. So they're going to have to work for it. But yeah, I think Fields is going to struggle. It's a tough, tough work for a guy that we said shouldn't play for a year. And now is coming in week three in a high pressure situation on the road. I just checked as well. And I don't think there's going to be any look ahead letdown because next week Cleveland plays Minnesota. So I think this is going to be business as usual. Cleveland trying to rack up the win. I think the bears are kind of fucked. Should we, should we lay seven, make that like a super contest pick? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Even though this is generally against one of my biggest tenants of not betting on the Browns. Well, I've broken that tenant plenty for you. Yeah. We can easily. And you know what? Honestly, I feel like I'm not that emotionally tied in right now. Exactly. Because how, how can you be tied into beating the Bears week three with their shitty backup quarterback? Exactly. And also, like, they haven't blown me away and they haven't looked god awful. Like, the, the offenses look good. The defense hasn't looked great, but they've still looked like a good team that can beat just about everyone in the league. And especially if they really put it together, they can beat everyone in the league. Whereas the Bears are below average and with fields, especially. The Browns season legitimately begins week five. They play the Chargers in L.A. Damn it. Just after I leave, too. They play at home against Arizona, at home against Denver, at home against Pittsburgh. Then they go to Cincy, which will be a blowout. They go to New England. <laughs> that should probably be a blowout, too. They host Detroit and then the Baltimore back-to-back on either side of a bye. So that's the season right there. From weeks 5 to 14, the Browns have their season. Until then, let's talk about some more games. Definitely. Next game, we have the Cincinnati Bengals going to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers minus three and a half. This line has moved because it was Pittsburgh minus seven this time last week. Think that's justified? I think it's somewhat justified. I mean, I, I don't think it should have moved that much. But it is Ben. Ben's not good, man. He's he's truly bad. And that offense covers him as much as they can because they have good playmakers. But he has not been good. So I understand why it would drop like that. Because I think people are just realizing that, yeah, he's this is super washed, should have retired two years ago. Ben Roethlisberger, not, you know, any of the 15 years before that Ben Roethlisberger. I have an algorithm that I don't trust with my whole heart, but I do really like to use it as a guiding post. And it basically converts every team based on every position group into a GPA grade like you had in high school. The Pittsburgh Steelers are my 27th ranked team with a 2.49 GPA. Would you like to guess how Cincinnati shakes out? I'm going to go with significantly lower. You would be incorrect. Cincinnati is my 28th ranked team with an identical 2.49 GPA. Really? These are, according to my algorithm that I tend to agree with, the fifth and sixth worst teams in the league at a dead tie. Interesting. See, I would have them close. I probably have Pittsburgh is better, though, simply because that that defensive front will just destroy days, whereas the Bengals don't have anything like that. They don't have anything that can take over a game. Didn't J.J. Watt just get hurt, though? T.J.? Uh, well, he, he hurt his groin. I don't know because I know he didn't play the rest of that game. I haven't paid attention to whether he's going to play this week, though. So he's currently questionable. They say, and I quote, he has a shot to play in week three. And he has a significant but not major gro- groin injury. Yeah, maybe something he doesn't play me, this week. That's not, and if he does, something tells me it's not going to be his best performance. Yeah. And I, I hate to say it, 
But Cincinnati's offensive line hasn't been as big of a liability as I expected simply because they don't fucking do anything but throw little dinks and dunks. Like, they don't need an offensive line. Yeah, they they just get the ball out so quick. They're 100% doing the same thing that Pittsburgh did last year, which is if we don't really trust our O-line, we're just going to throw the ball in a second every time. And so that's been effective for them, and it could definitely neutralize that that pass rush. I mean, now, look, I at, think look, that, at our, look at our handicap from last week. We said the Raiders are probably a little bit better than Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's defensive front is so good, and the Raiders' def- offensive line is so bad – it is going to cause them problems. And it, it didn't because there's nothing yeah, behind Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, once Watt was out, they really lost a lot of mustard too. And he's not supposed to play this week. And if he does, it's going to be a shell of himself. Yeah, you got a good point. It sucks because this is one of the lowest spreads on the board. And therefore, I want to bet on it. But if I'm doing anything, I'm probably going Cincinnati plus three and a half. And I'm just not betting on hoping that a team keeps it within a field goal. That's a fucking, that feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I think Pittsburgh is the better team, but I I don't feel confident enough about it to bet on it. And even with this smaller number, you're right. We should just move on. It's a division game with a small number between two teams that are at a dead heat and both suck. That is a recipe for chaos. Fuck that. Next game. And you're right. You're right. All right. Next, we can jump into the Indianapolis Colts playing the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are minus five and a half. Speaking of chaotic in-division games, I don't think Jacob Eason's a huge drop-off from Carson Wentz. I'm high on Eason. I'm relatively high on Wentz, I guess. I don't know. I don't think there's going to be a big drop-off. So there might be a little baked-in value for Indianapolis there. Tennessee's defense does suck. Tennessee is coached like shit. But all Tennessee's coaching has to do is be mediocre and then that elite roster runs train on a disorganized and really shitty Indianapolis defense. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw a, a truer version of the Titans last week against Seattle than we did week one against the Cardinals. And that team looked much more competent, might even say good, because that offense is, when when Tannehill can throw a little bit, they, they have really good weapons, man. I mean, we, we've talked about it a bunch, but between A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, and Derrick Henry, you have three studs at what, you know, for their job. They, you sh- should be able to, and they did move the ball really well last week. And with what this Colts defense has looked like, that should bode really well with the Colts losing, likely losing Wentz and Eason coming in, another rookie that's pretty raw, prone to mistakes. I think that spells towards the Titans, but I'm not going to bet it with one. You have the Titans. Don't bet on the Titans. Two, you have Mike Rabel that I don't trust at all. Division game for number three that could get messy. And then number four, you have five and a half is the number. There are just a lot of things telling me to stay away from this game. So I'm going to stay away from this game. This line basically says that Tennessee is three points worse than the Rams. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I I think that Indianapolis and Tennessee are pretty goddamn close. And division game, big line, backup quarterback, staying away. Gotta stay away. Exactly. If if Wentz was playing, I would probably like the Colts just because I think those division games in Vrabel, they always go down to a field goal. Yeah. But then the number probably wouldn't be five and a half. It'd probably be closer to three, and then it'd stay away anyway. So yeah, if you're ready, we can move on to the next game. We have the L.A. Chargers going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs minus six and a half. 
this card really is bleak. It's just tough finding value. I I'm intrigued by the Chargers. But after, well, okay. So last week the Chargers didn't punt once. They did not punt. That stadium was 90% Cowboys fans, which may I say is an excruciating experience. They're really like some of the most annoying people that live. They didn't punt once. They commit a good seven mindless crushing penalties. But the real takeaway for me was that Justin Herbert isn't quite ready. And I love him. I, nobody was higher on Justin Herbert coming out than me. I promise this. But there were several times, I think I counted three or four, where he had Keenan Allen running a seam, splitting a cover two safeties, and he wouldn't throw it to him. He had a step. Lord knows he has the arm, but he took the check down anyway. And that kind of made me think. And then when you see him in the red zone, he was just awful in the red zone. And I think that he lacks confidence when it comes to those tight window throws. Now I know, I mean, he looks great on third and long, but a lot of the time he's airing it up. And a lot of the time it's like, well, you don't have a choice. You got to fucking be desperate here. In the red zone, when you're kind of airing it up, you get picked. In the red zone, when you get desperate, you think, fuck it, we'll just kick the field goal. I think he needs a little bit more time, at least in this system, before he's the guy that we all know he will be and the guy we think he might already be. And Kansas City is going to be furious because they've played like fucking shit for two straight weeks. Patrick Mahomes has had negative grades in both of the first two games against teams he should be able to beat up on. He was he was kind of bad against Baltimore and single-handedly lost them that game. And he was actively bad against the Browns and almost lost them that game. Yeah, I mean, he they still score an absurd amount of points and are liable to you know, score a touchdown for 80 yards in 30 seconds. And that'll happen when Travis Kelsey can take a four-yard slant 65 yards. Exactly. And so that's just how the team is. And so that's where even if Mahomes does have some struggles and does some silly stuff, it doesn't really matter all that much because Andy Reid, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Travis Kelsey are all so electric that they can bail him out sometimes. And then he bails himself out too of it's kind of the same thing with Lamar of they can go and have some of those terrible plays, but because they can also go pull out touchdown plays out of, you know, busted things where they're getting chased down the through the backfield and end up chucking a ball that gets picked up and taken in. It minimizes some of those silly choices for me. So I don't I don't think it matters as much. That's where I, I would lean Kansas City, but I don't love it because, again, division game, big number. And I think the Chargers will probably be a little pissed off, too, because they, they should have won that game. So you have two teams that just kind of gave away games they should have won. The Chiefs are a better team. Both quarterbacks are prone to do incredible things, but also incredibly dumb things. I think it'll be a blast of a game to watch, but I don't want to touch it at six and a half. If I could get Sandy, if I could get the Chargers, which are not from San Diego, plus seven, I think I'm going to take that. But I can't touch anything else. I'm not taking Kansas City money line. I think the Chargers are an underdog that could win. They could. If the Chargers win this game, we're going to talk a little shit about the Chiefs being one and two and probably should be through 0 and three, but we're not going to be shocked. I mean, fuck, the Chargers did it last year, and they upgraded their coaching. So I think the Chargers could win, and if I can get the full touchdown, I'm taking it. But I'm not taking it otherwise. Does that make sense? Yep, I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I like both teams to bet on them. Same. 
but yeah, it's just, it's a tough number. I'm not as high on the chargers, so I don't even want to bet on it at seven. I would probably have to get seven and a half before I'd bet on it. But honestly, I'm just going to stay away because in theory, I like the chiefs. I just like the chargers number or their number more. No, same. I'm, I agree. Like if I had to bet my child's life on the money line, I'm, I'm putting it on the chiefs, but yeah. I think that it's a crazy division game and seven points is a lot in two in a game between two good teams in division, especially when I've got a savant defensive coach who I really think will have something for Patrick Mahomes, because I think Patrick Mahomes is a beatable quarterback. It's just nobody has tried things on him other than drop coverage. The Ravens tried something on him last week. They tried this this two wave rushing scheme that I really, really liked. Basically just delayed blitz, just two man rush and then a delayed two man blitz. It was brilliant, and it totally obviated Patrick Mahomes' second reaction playmaking ability. One, I think Staley's smart enough to just copy that. But two, I think Staley's smart enough to try something similar. And I mean, all this to say that I would bet the number if I could get a slightly better number, right? I think we should just leave it at, I'm going to bet on this game if I get seven. But if I don't get seven, I'm moving on. Yeah, I'm probably just going to move on in general. I don't like it too much. I think it would just be forcing a bet for myself. And I'll stay away. So for our next game, we have the New Orleans Saints going to play the New England Patriots. Patriots minus three. Okay, as disappointed as I was with the Saints, I'm so happy that they fucked up like this. Because I was in the preseason, a handicapper who I respect quite a bit was talking about how one of his favorite bets for the entire season is Patriots minus three hosting the Saints. And you have to get it now before the season starts because it's not going to be there because it's going to go up to Patriots minus six because this is one of those old heads who just fucking sucks Bill Belichick's dick no matter what stupid shit he does. He sees a fat white guy in Mac Jones and assumes, oh, it's Tom Brady. And he sees that the Saints lost Drew Brees, which is a name he recognizes and says, oh, they must be fucked. He sees that they're in cap hell and he says, oh, they must have lost so much. Well, we've already went over how I don't think the Saints lost shit and even as bad as Jameis looked this past week, I think that's about what you had with Breeze last year. Now, I think I, this all is based upon the presumption that the Saints will get most, if not all, of those coaches back from the COVID list. And since they're all vaccinated, they should. But I was worried that this number was going to be Saints minus three. And even at that number, I was still probably going to bet it. While I'm not going to make this the $5,000 bet I would have three days ago, I'm putting at least two units on New Orleans. I'm going to do one money line, one plus three. Maybe one more. Yeah, I mean, I like New Orleans in this game as well. I know they just burned us, but I think that was more just a, a bit of a lull against a division team where you're missing a bunch of coaches. Um, I'm I'm willing to write it off, at least now, as uh, more of a, a letdown than a pattern. Now, if this week the Saints go get rolled again, then we're going to have to change change our tune. But for now, I still like the Saints. They're still the same team. Let's not overreact to what we saw last week. This is a, a really good defense that's coached incredibly well with a top-flight offense and some decent playmakers with a quarterback that we like moving forward. We don't love, but we like against a Patriots team that seems like the classic will beat up on bad teams and lose to good teams right now. Because they have a, a solid, experienced defense with a good offensive line and some playmakers, but there's still just a lot of new guys and a lot of guys that are either young or old. Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm not impressed that New England 
almost, almost beat Miami at home with two a play. I'm sorry that I'm not impressed that New England scored about as many points as Carolina did on the Jets, despite the Jets throwing four interceptions, two of which were just unlucky. Like Zach Wilson had the, the first pick was a bad throw that got deflected and picked. That's not his fault. The second pick went literally through the wide receiver's hands and then got picked. That's not his fault. The third and fourth pick were fucking terrible. But at that point, he was probably just a little bit like, fuck it. We're out of this game. We need some big shit to pop if we're going to get back in it. And Coach Salah said as much. So I think that the Patriots are getting, I think the Patriots have basically been set up perfectly to mask the fact that they're nothing special through the first two weeks of the season. And I think that the Saints have had literally everything go wrong for them and still came out the other side 500. They're going to get a little bit of normalcy. They're going to get chewed out. Sean Payton's going to have to re-examine his offensive game plan, probably stop running halfback dive on first down so often. And Jameis is going to have to refocus himself on being safe with the ball. If the Saints don't bounce back here, I'm probably not betting on the Saints again all year unless there's a great spot. But I think that my instincts were right. I think that what we saw week one is a hell of a lot closer to what we're going to see from the Saints than what we saw week two. And it's one of those games where I almost wish I had more capital so I could bet more on the Saints. Yeah, I'm not quite that confident on them simply because a lot of there's a lot of flukiness that happens in week one. There's a lot of flukiness that happens early in the season in general, but I think week one is especially high. And so this could be a situation where New Orleans had a fluky win of Jameis. Yeah, I know what I'm doing now, but then he starts getting pressured and he falls back into old habits and the team struggles to overcome turnovers. They don't have any, you know, stud wide receivers they can put out there to help him out. So this could be a time where we see that the Saints aren't anything. So I'm not, you know, ready to go bet the house on it. But I do like New Orleans and think that this is a really good defense with an opportunistic offense that's coached incredibly well and should beat this kind of middle-tier Patriots team. All right, should we get to our last game on the early card? Definitely. So we have the Washington football team going to play the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are minus nine. Fuck. I hate this game. Yeah, I hate it. I mean, I, I like the Bills. I like them in a touchdown. I don't like them at minus nine. I don't know if I like them at a touchdown. Josh Allen is such a fucking pumpkin right now. Like, they, he did not look good against Miami. No. And as bad as Washington's secondary is, they're going to take away the one thing that he likes to do, which is waste a lot of time in the pocket and then go really deep. They're not going to let him go really deep, and they're not going to give him any time in the pocket. And Washington's one of the few teams with two defensive ends who are more athletic than Josh Allen. That said, Washington's defense does suck. Brian Dable is a good offensive coordinator, probably really good probably great. While Washington's defense kind of stinks, they're going to take away what Josh Allen wants to do. While they're going to take away what Josh Allen wants to do, Brian Dable is smart enough to figure this out. At the stalemate, Taylor Heineke is a fucking wild card. Yeah. I don't, even, I don't want to make this a leg. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to include it at all. Um, I, I like Buffalo, but even that, like you said, Josh Allen has not looked good. They still produced in spite of it, and they just scored 35 points on the Dolphins. No, you know, yeah, but they were so they they're still doing it in spite of Josh Allen struggling. But I don't know if that's going to keep up. And you're 100 percent right in that Washington's going to be able to make him run around and not give him the time to just chuck balls deep. I don't even know if scoring 28 on Miami is impressive anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's another team that I think is just possibly not very good. 
but until we kind of figure that out, I'm I'm going to stay away from the Bills right now. You know what? I think that was a segue. Yeah. So speaking of the Miami Dolphins and them maybe not being good in general, we have the Miami Dolphins going to play the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are minus four. The 2-0 and undefeated Oakland Raiders. I'm actually really close to switching over to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I kind of want to play with it. So let's uh, let's call them Las Vegas today. Vegas is minus four. This time last week, they were minus one. In the meantime, they beat up on an elderly man in a way that most states would probably consider a felony, but anything goes in Nevada. That elderly man was Ben Roethlisberger, and he looked like a used diaper from an elderly man. On the other side, we've got Miami, who lost their quarterback, which is probably a good thing for them. But uh, the unfortunate thing is that their backup also isn't good, and their offensive coordinator still sucks. And, okay, I've got a couple buddies that are Dolphins fans, and you know, they're very upset about their offensive line. And I liked Austin Jackson enough coming out. So I went back and I did some film study this morning. Just what the fuck is going on? Dude, one of two things is happening. One of three things. One, the quarterback, both Tua and Brissett, is just completely negligent when it comes to organizing protections. Like they have no idea what they're looking at pre-snap and they just don't tell their linemen what to do. Two, the linemen are all very stupid. Now, this is possible because Austin Jackson is a freak athlete. Dude can dunk. But coming out, I thought he was a project mentally, which is why I would have taken him at the back of the first round and then groomed him. But I wouldn't have like expected him to be a day one starter or anything. He needed to go to a veteran room that could show him the ropes. And then the third option, and I think this is the most likely, is just that their offensive line coach is really inept and they're designing really bad protections. Because I'm watching plays where Austin Jackson is stuffing a defensive end while a linebacker runs directly around him and into the quarterback. I'm watching plays where the entire offensive line is shifting right while they boot left. Now your quarterback, who's not very mobile, regardless of which one it is, is naked and getting killed. And it's it just way too much miscommunication and disorganization on the offensive line. It's all mental. It's all mental. And that I think it's coaching. I don't think it's going to change. I don't like the Raiders, minus four. I'm in the same boat that if after week one, yeah, I wasn't betting on the Raiders. I was going with, all right, this was more of a aberration than it was a, it the was Raiders. A- yeah, than the Raiders being good. I mean, Derek Carr played terrible that game for the most part. And, you know, this past weekend, the, the Steelers lost T.J. Watt, and that's going to alter their defense pretty significantly. But the Raiders still pulled that game out. Their, their offense is clicking enough. And the defense hasn't been horrible. They're still not a good defense, but they're at least playable now. So in general, I like the Raiders. And then when you give it with the Dolphins are seemingly in disarray right now and that Tua isn't very good and is hurt. You have Brissett, who is kind of, I mean, you know what you're getting with him. He's going to be okay. And yeah, everything you talked about, you knew the offensive line was going to be a bit of a weakness for the Dolphins coming into the year, but it's truly struggled and has shifted how that team is going to function. Now it's younger guys, newer guys that you're hoping maybe this is just some time to gel getting into the system, playing with everyone. It's early in the year. And so they might figure it out later in the season, but as of now, it's a bad offensive line that is making that offense struggle. So I don't like the Dolphins right now. I might not like them at all for the year. Um, so at this point, yeah, I'm lower on the Dolphins and I'm higher on the Raiders. Again, we have the the minus four number, though. 
that I just hate. I hate. So that one I might go and try and tease down and use into stuff. But yeah, I like the range. On the other hand, we have a few things working against us just value-wise because like, dude, Raiders are not a 3-0 team. The Raiders beat the Baltimore hype beast Ravens on Monday Night Football in dramatic fashion, then went and beat the piss out of America's second favorite team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they couldn't have had a hypier start. And it couldn't be any more fraudulent because Derek Carr has not been very fucking good and he's getting MV fucking P talk. This is a deeply troubling game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be one that I probably have lower than other bats I like and might end up just getting edged out and put into parlays. What, what would you make this game? Like if, if you had your druthers and you could just make this line something beatable but realistic, what would you make? This? No, I don't know. Would you feel comfortable if it was Raiders minus two and a half? I would feel much better about that. Yeah. Like if this, bet, I, <clears throat> if this bet was minus one, like it was a week ago, would you take it? Yeah. You take Raiders minus one? I think so. Then let's keep it as a leg. All right. Just, I like that. You, know, you parlay that with maybe Baltimore minus three. It's a decent parlay. So we'll keep it as a leg at Oakland minus two. See, I'm not ready for Vegas. And then we'll talk about maybe coming back to Raiders minus four for our super contest five later. Sounds good. Moving on to the next game, we have the New York Jets going to play the Denver Broncos. Broncos minus 10 and a half. This is a toughie because I love Denver, but man, I just don't know if they're ever going to score enough points to cover minus nine. And while they totally could, Denver's a team that's been hot and getting praise, and the Jets are a team that's been cold and getting smashed. So I don't want to bet Jets plus nine, and I can't touch Denver minus nine. It's 10 and a half. So the number moved effectively three points. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I like Denver. I think they're going to put Zach Wilson into a lot of bad positions. But yeah, you gotta, you're either counting on defensive scores or Teddy to just transcend his entire career to give you enough points that you feel comfortable giving needing to win by 11. This is a perfect anchor. This is a, you know what? We could do Denver and Oakland. Let's do, we could do Denver minus two, Oakland minus two. I bet you that's solid. Yeah, that's probably not too bad. Here, I can actually do it. Yeah, if you like the Raiders, a smart way to play them, because I don't like them at that four number, is just try to get them to like minus two and parlay them with Denver money line, and you can get about even odds on that. So if that's the way you want to go, if that's a game you like, this is how to get at it. Yeah, it, the Raiders are, are a decent option right now. I'm not crazy about them the more I think about it, but if you if you do like it, they are easy to tease down. You get some real value there. Especially because Denver is playing right at the exact same time slot, so it doesn't even tie up your capital. It's kind of like a perfect storm. Oh, just a PSA. If you're a Twitter stan of Justin Fields, please stop asking me what I think of Zach Wilson every time I say that Justin Fields sucks. Like, both dudes can suck. In fact, I predicted neither of them would be good. Like, none of them are going to be very good. Yeah, they can they can suck independent of each other or be good independent of each other. They're not tied together. All right, next game. All right, so we have the Seattle Seahawks going to play the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings are plus two. I like Seattle. Me too. I think this is exactly the same game as they played last week, the Vikings did, in that mm-hmm. their corners are going to get abused by oh the, the speed and deep ball ability of Lockett and DK Metcalf. That they might have, yeah, they might have four touchdowns between the two of them. 
so I, I think that matchup offensively works really well for Seattle. I, you know, I worry a little bit about Seattle's corners on those wide receivers for Minnesota, but overall, I think Seattle is going to be able to put up so many points against this defense that as long as they're not giving up similar bombs, they'll be okay. Yeah, they're going to be okay. Dude, I, think about it like this. Would you, would you bet, would you consider betting Seattle minus seven if this was at home? No. No? Okay. I would because I love that matchup. You've got the fastest wide receiving core in the NFL that loves going deep against the slowest defensive backs in the NFL. And I generally dislike Minnesota's. <laughs> the one thing that people like to hold against Seattle, and I'm lower on Seattle than most of Twitter, but the one thing that Seattle Twitter hates is their coaching. Mike Zimmer is like Pete Carroll, but with the pussy meter turned up to 11. So I don't see one area of the game in which the Vikings even hang with the Seahawks. See, I think they'll be able they'll be able to create on offense because I think there's a, a distribution between or a significant difference between the Seattle corners and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Now, I don't think it's as big of a difference between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Minnesota's corners. So that's why I like Seattle. But I still think that Minnesota could have some of those big chunk scores like they did against Arizona last week. But overall, I think Seattle's a better team than Arizona. If this was a blowout, if Seattle blew them the fuck out, would you be really shocked? No. That's what I'm saying. We get minus two, dude. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm going to bet on Seattle. I just, I'm not like in love with it that, yeah, this is my lock that I, I'm not even going to turn the TV on, but I like the number and I'm going to bet on Seattle. Yeah. I don't know, man. Hashtag trends with Z's all the way through. Uh, Kirk Cousins in a late game. I mean, that that's a, terrible. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not quite prime time, so it's not the same level. But, yeah, no, he's uh, he might struggle a little bit. Touts that I respect have tried to reverse engineer this trend so hard. There is one theory that I almost respect. And it's basically just that Kirk Cousins is like a fucking OCD freak about routine, which given what else we know about Kirk Cousins makes a little sense. And apparently the theory is that Kirk Cousins has his routine down to a T. Woman, I didn't know I ordered a Foley. A Foley is the person who does the sound effects in Hollywood. Look at that LA relevance right there. That's a geographical joke. I play hockey with a guy who did the sound for Miracle. I know all this shit now. (laughs) Um, Three, two, one. Apparently he loves his routine so much he's got it down to a T for the one o'clock games. But when it gets pushed back to the late slot, he doesn't know what to do. When it gets pushed back to the primetime slots, he's totally fucking confused. I don't know if I buy that. I think maybe Kirk Cousins just isn't very good. And when you play in primetime or you play a late game, you're playing a good team. Crazy how that works out. But either way, Seattle minus two, lock it in. Best for last. Of course, so the last game of the middle slate, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to play the Los Angeles Rams. Rams plus one and a half. The odds that I bet on this game are like minus 350, but uh, I can't tell you what that bet is just yet because I don't fucking know. Yeah, honestly, I kind of want to stay away from this game simply so that I can just enjoy it for the pure football aspect. Yeah. Because it's going to be an incredible game that I'm going to have just a blast watching but I don't really have a read on it one way or another. I think the Rams are a better team that are coached much better, but I 
I cannot bet against Tom Brady right now. He's, he's what got so nine. Fucking good. He's got nine touchdowns in two games, and he has earned all of them. He's not getting you know cheap whatever yak stuff. Like he's he is creating all of this. So I don't want to bet against him. I'm probably just not going to bet on this game at all and just enjoy it as a football fan. Yeah, I'm not going to – these aren't angles to bet on, but I just want to say some things. This is my number one quarterback versus my number two quarterback. This is my second best team in the league versus my third best team in the league. Now, the problem is that it's like my second or third best coach in the league in McVay versus like the second or third worst coach in the league in Bruce Arians – via Byron Lefwich. That's a little low on the Buccaneers, but they're bottom 10. It's bad. And that's why I'm tempted to bet on LA because they're at home, first of all. And despite the Chargers being a nomad with no fans, Rams games are actually fucking lit, having been to one. They got the mariachi band. They got a pretty cool DJ and like some chick who comes out and fucking shreds on guitar in between plays. It's a great time. The food is terrible. It's a good time. People care. I might bet the Rams. In fact, I think I'm going to bet the Rams. I'm I'm betting on betting the Rams, but not until I see the game because all it would take for the Buccaneers to win this game is for the Buccaneers to come out and on the first two drives, don't fucking let your running back touch the ball. I don't care which running back it is. As long as the Buccaneers keep the ball in the wide receivers and the tight ends' hands, they will win this game. They forfeit by giving it to the running backs. And I know Byron Leftwich is fucking addicted to it, he can't take that halfback dive needle out of his fucking arm. But that's the game. And that's why I'm going to live bet this. Within two drives, I'll know if Tampa intends to win this game or Tampa wants to piss on themselves. Yeah, that's fair. And I think the the all the rational thought points to the Rams. They have the better coach. Their defense is more well-rounded. They have, you know, they have better coverage ability or at least they have a shutdown guy. Whereas the Bucks don't really... The, the the biggest things is the Rams just they're more diverse on offense. You know, they don't run all that much either, but I trust them running the ball a little bit, whereas I don't trust the Bucks at all running the ball. And it just goes back to the biggest thing of coaching and that the Bucks do things that hamper their offense, whereas McVay and the Rams do things that highlight the positives of it. So I like the Rams on paper. It's just that I if the Bucs want to be, they're the best team. And I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady on an incredibly talented team that should be the best. Especially because we said this in our preseason preview. And shout out Alonzo for tipping me off to this because he's totally right. But Tom Brady's on a record-setting warpath. It, it is more than ever before in his career. You can see that Brady is trying to pad his stats for the first time. He's doing what Breeze and Rodgers have made careers out of. You know, first and goal from the five. Let's see if we could throw the touchdown. We're already winning by 20. Well, we could step on their throat. And while I don't think that chasing stats is a good way of playing football necessarily, I think that when you're the best football player of all time by a fairly wide margin and you're chasing stats, you're going to do some ungodly things. Like you said, the Buccaneers get to decide if they win this game. I have a feeling that in Los Angeles during a late game, packed, beautiful stadium. The entire nation's eyes will be on them. The Bucs might choose to win this game. So now I've successfully they might. made great arguments for both teams. Exactly. I you know, would love to give more direction, but I'm not betting on this game. Other people are welcome to. But with that said, we can go into our Sunday night game, 
the Green Bay Packers going to the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers are minus three and a half. I am shocked this line didn't move. This is the same line from a week ago. I am too. I thought I would go on today and see that it had dropped to, you know, Packers even or something like that. But no, it it's stuck. I expected Packers pick them, but let's let's dissect this line like fucking logic cappers. So, you know, San Fran's minus three and a half. And because San Fran plays in Santa Clara, which is kind of like if a New York team played in New Hampshire, Santa Clara is not even close to being close to being San Francisco. It's like it's like a two hour drive and you got to pay a good fourteen dollars in tolls in order to get there. It's ridiculous. It's like San Diego to L.A. Look at me being all local in California. <laughs> I'm a Los Angelino. Anyhow. San Francisco is going to have a very weak home field advantage. Their field there is also not very good. Everybody's kind of just slipping around. It's bullshit. So let's call it a two-point home advantage. That means that on a neutral, San Francisco is a point and a half better. And in Green Bay, this game would be about Green Bay minus two. I don't like Green Bay. I think they're overrated. I think Aaron Rodgers is wicked overrated. I think their secondary kind of sucks because Kevin King is so bad. I think their offensive line is okay, but Aaron Rodgers can only deal with awesome. I'm not high on Green Bay, but it sounds like they've actually caught on and they're going to be starting Eric Stokes as their second cornerback. Eric Stokes, who is awesome. One of the best running cornerbacks I've seen, Champ Bailey style, always in phase, so quick, so fast. Is he as smart as Champ Bailey? Remains to be seen. His ball skills like Champ Bailey? Remains to be seen. But that's not what I said. They're going to have, I think, a decent secondary rolled out while San Francisco rolls out a terrible one. The Packers are going to be a little bit more swaggy because they finally put up some points. And while Aaron Rodgers did throw two pickable balls last week against Detroit, he's got an easier task against the San Francisco secondary. And he still did have like three really good or elite throws. I'm thinking Green Bay. How about you? Uh, I'm, I lean towards Green Bay as well. Not because I was really like too impressed with what Green Bay did last week but more that I've just been unimpressed with the 49ers. I think they've been, they've been a fine team that has, you know, been able to hold on to games, but they've now had, you know, two games that at least ended close with the lions and the Eagles who are two teams we say are really bad. I mean, the lions are one of the worst and the Eagles are bottom 10 at least. And they've had two close games with them. So even if I don't think the Packers are a top five team, but I think they're top 10 and now you have a team that's, you know, needed, needed the full game to be two really bad teams. So I think this could be a big talent jump for them. And I haven't, I just haven't been impressed by the 49ers. I, I lean green Bay. I like that. I'm getting three and a half. I like that number a lot. And if, as long as Rogers can keep throwing some of those deep balls and their offense hums like it did last week, which honestly I don't, you know, not that Detroit's defense is very good, but I don't think San Fran's defense is going to be all that spectacular either. So as long as Rodgers doesn't implode, I think the Packers are the better team, especially if Eric Stokes is going to get the majority of the CB2 snaps. So I like Green Bay, and I don't know if this number is just from previous years of San Fran being able to figure out and beat up on Green Bay or what, but this this number seems a little weird to me given – what we've seen with the 49ers so far this year. The 49ers in 2021 kind of feel like the Denver Broncos of two years ago and the San Diego Chargers of two years ago, where 
handicappers believed in them so much because of all these underlying stats that aren't really parallel to being good at football. And they wanted him to be good so badly. And they figured, oh, once they get healthy, it's going to happen. And I think we're just realizing that San Francisco caught lightning in a bottle in 2018. They really weren't nearly as good as they ended up looking by going to the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan's a good coach, but he's not spectacular. I mean, yeah, he's making chicken salad out of chicken dog shit with Jimmy Garoppolo turning out average offensive production. But it's not great. They scored what? They scored less than 20 points against a terrible Eagles team last week. And Green Bay's defense is about as good as the Eagles' defense. I think they're a little better on the secondary. I think they're a little worse up front. I think that Green Bay's offense is a hell of a lot better than the Eagles' offense. And granted, you know, the Eagles stalled in the red zone. Well, the Eagles also got the benefit of some awesome kick returns. I, yeah, I'm betting Green Bay, and I like it a lot, and I might do two units. Interesting. I don't, I'm not as high on them just because, you know, we're still figuring out what exactly that team's going to be. And I don't love the defense and San Fran has had Green Bay's number in the past, but I like Green Bay. I, especially with the number of three and a half, I think that number is amazing. Honestly, assuming that Green Bay is, well, see, this is the thing, man. We've got the hook. We've got the three and a half, the number we hate betting against. And we've got the team we think is better. I, I have to additionally, even a, so I, I plugged into my algorithm because, again, it's not God, but it's something. Assuming that Aaron Rodgers is a B quarterback, you know, we're talking like assuming he's about as good as Justin Herbert, assuming he's about as good as, you know, Josh Allen this year, assuming he's about as good, a little worse than Baker Mayfield, assuming he's worse than Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill, a B quarterback. I make this game Packers minus one because yeah. they're three points better and then two points for home field. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I when I first looked at it, I thought the numbers were flipped. I figured the Packers would be the favorite, even just barely, but I thought they would get favored. So I was surprised when I saw San Fran was. So yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm I'm down. Let's go Packers, which feels kind of dirty to say. I was gonna say, please don't say those words again. Like, I mean, yeah, like, I know. Yes, I I didn't think about it, and then I was like, you know, if you would have said something like "Go Steelers" to me, I probably would be pretty hurt. Like, I so I apologize. I'll, I'll, I'll watch myself in the future. I love the color green, and I think yellow is a nice accent for it. And in other contexts, I really like those colors. But when I see them on a football field, I'm not joking. It evokes feelings of vomit. <laughs> I'm not even – like, I'm, I don't love the Bears. I gave up on the Bears so many years ago, like 10 years ago. Mostly, I just hate the Packers. So, yeah, let's Fair enough. I'm going to throw 1,000 on them. Money line – dude, they're money line plus 160. That's okay. disgusting. I'm yeah. – I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to do – I'm doing a unit I'll probably be doing a unit and a half on them and just splitting it between. I just have to figure out what I'm going to do a unit and what I'm going to do a half unit. It might go more. We'll see. We'll see what the card looks like. I'm doing. I just did it. I just did it. I did a unit each. Wonderful. You ready for the last game of the week? Let's cap her off. Awesome. On Monday night, we have the Philadelphia Eagles going to play the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are minus four. I'm reminded of a quote that Mike Tyson had that was not very nice to homosexual people about what he would do to somebody until they loved him. And I feel like the NFL is just doing that with the NFC East every fucking year because I don't really want to watch this game. Yeah, me either. I mean, we talked about it last week of the Packers and the Lions, and now we have another division matchup, but now there isn't one good team. It's just two middle ones. I mean, I think it'll be a close game, and it should be exciting because division – games between the Eagles and Cowboys always are, but it's not going to be a fun game or to at least 
it's not a fun Monday night game. And also, I think it's, it, it's one of those games. It's one of those rivalries. The worst team will win. Whoever looks worse, they'll win. It'll just suck. Yeah, it's just going to be an annoying game. I mean, I think I think the Eagles will be able to run all over, mainly because I just don't trust. I mean, the, the, the Cowboys have good linebackers. I think that's about it. And they're going to be able to kind of fool them and spread out the linebackers enough with how many running threats they have. But also Dallas's offense is going to be able to move pretty freely, especially with Brandon Graham out now. I don't know how that D-line is going to look. And that was kind of the strength of their team. I honestly, I lean Dallas. I do too. I don't like minus four. I would have to tease him down before I take him because I'm not taking Dallas with that defense and that backdoor ability at anything less than a field goal. But I think that that offense will be able to capitalize, especially with Brandon Graham out. They're going to be able to score pretty easily. And the Eagles will to move down the field, but not fast enough that it's going to be like when the Ravens get down and they just can't come back quick enough because they don't have the, the quick hit ability. So I like Dallas in this game. I like Dallas, and I think I almost want to bet it because I just thought of some angles. First of all, we had a little bit of a disagreement last week while I was taking a shit before football started about Micah Parsons playing defensive end. I love it because I don't think Micah Parsons is a good linebacker because he can't cover and he gets really confused in space. All he can do is come forward and blitz. And you thought, well, dude, the guy hasn't played defensive end since high school and he's kind of small. He's going to get tossed. Well, it turns out we were both kind of right because he was awesome as a pass rusher. PFF loved him. He jumped off the field when I was at the game, but the Chargers ran the ball at will. I think that this is a big X factor in this game. If Micah Parsons plays linebacker, he is going to be perfect for spying Jalen Hurts, for coming up and thumping Miles Sanders. That's his name, right? Fuck yeah. And he makes them three deep at linebackers who can stuff the run and come up and range and find all those quick hitters that the Eagles rely upon. Because I'm pretty sure Jalen Hurts' adjusted depth of target is literally like four. I think it's less than four. Yeah, they do not throw the ball downfield. They don't throw the ball. They pop the ball, like pop passes, swings, screens, maybe an RPO slant for three yards. That's all they fucking do. So having great fast linebackers who love to tackle is perfect for that. And you don't need them to cover because they're not running anything with their tight end downfield. It's perfect. That said, if he plays defensive end, the Eagles are going to be able to run the ball. So let's look and monitor that injury. Additionally, on the other side, the Eagles defensive line was okay with Brandon Graham. Taking away Brandon Graham, it is a little below average and easily run against because to the extent that they do have playmakers they are speed rushers you know josh sweat is an athlete he's fast fletcher cox what is left of him is still more of a technique and speed rusher than somebody who's going to bulldoze you into the backfield you can run on that dallas likes to run and pollard looks really good zeke not so much pollard yes additionally while dak is average amari's overrated cd's overrated they're all good you give them enough time against bad corners, they will get open. And then they got this Cedric Wilson guy, number one. I think that's his name. Man, he is quick. I saw some plays on last Sunday that I don't know if it's because in person people look more impressive when they do cool shit, but he is so quick. It is tough to get him down when he's in space. And I think Dallas is going to utilize that more and more because they had a lot of, I think they had five plays that either featured or decoyed him last week. I'm tempted to take Dallas, but I got to know these X factor matchups. Yeah. And that's why they're, they're going to be probably one that I would tie in or wait a little bit on throughout the week. 
Yep. But I like Dallas in theory. And if I'm going to bet on this game, it'll be on Dallas. All right. Now that we've gone through all the games, we so far we have three super contest style picks. We've got New Orleans plus three, Seattle minus two, and Green Bay plus three and a half. I'd like to have two more. Games that we like but don't love are Arizona minus seven and a half, Cleveland minus seven, Oakland minus four, and Baltimore minus eight, as well as Dallas minus three and a half. If you had to pick two of those, where do you think you'd go? Probably Arizona and then probably Cleveland. I think I want to go Cleveland and Baltimore. I'm Yeah, I'm fine moving off Arizona. They're kind of – I'd go with Baltimore. They, they beat up on bad teams, and when they do, they win by 35 points. So it makes sense to me. Okay, so let's lock Cleveland minus seven in as one of our picks. And then eh, I'll probably – how about we tweet something out later in the week when we pick our fifth? That works. I'm okay with that. All right, and then now that we've gone through all these games – are there any other parlays you think we can hit with these legs? Remember, we love Arizona. We'd like to get it less than seven. We love Baltimore. We'd like to get it less than seven. Love Cleveland. We'd like to get it less than seven. Heck, we like San Diego. We'd like to get it more than seven. I mean, I would, because there are so many games that I like, I would have to play with it before I decided and see what my odds are. Cause I only like to put two or, you know, realistically only two, sometimes three teams into my parlays just to try and minimize the craziness from happening. And so since there are like seven games that I can play with here, I nothing sticks out to me until I actually plug stuff in and see what buying down to two and a half and a lot of these are. But that's what I'd look to do is buy down to two and a half with any of these favorites and just start coupling them together. Yeah, I, I think that our, our general guiding principle will be for Arizona and Baltimore, try to get it under a touchdown for a parlay. Or maybe, honestly, dude, if you just teased both of them, like a six-point teaser, that's basically a money line. It's basically parlaying each of them minus two. Let me see what those odds are real quick. Yeah, I, the best way to do Arizona and Baltimore is just a regular six-point teaser at minus 120. Throw a unit on that. And then monkey around with the Chargers to try to get them over a touchdown. Monkey around with Cleveland to try to get them under a touchdown, probably to that minus two area. Same Play with, with Dallas to get them down a little bit. Yeah. I would prefer Denver and Cleveland, though, just because – if you do a six-point teaser, you're at Cleveland minus one. You're at Denver minus, ooh, minus four and a half. Never mind. Point is, there's ways to play with this. Work the money lines. Work the teasers. Try not to over-leverage yourself on any one game. That's all I got. Yeah, I think you covered it all right there. It's it's all just playing with it and seeing seeing what value the books will give you because every game has something a little bit different. And, yeah, that, the biggest thing, don't over-leverage. I know we've both run into that before, that no matter how much you love a game, I don't, I don't try and use it in more than two or three things. All right. That wraps up week three. Let's see if we can get back on the winning side. Definitely. Hopefully uh, come back happy again next week and uh, can have a little bit more and fuck you pay me and a little bit less and I fucked up. Yeah. Until then, all we can ask of you, aside from listening to the podcast, is to please bet on football games. Asta.